but David. You don't know my situation. You don't know the pain I've gone through. It's not greater than the cross. And that greater love can give you the power and strength to overcome your addictions. That greater love can give you the power and strength to be healed in your marriages. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, we began a brief study of Jesus' last days on earth. He died for our sins, but then rose from death, assuring us that He lives with us today. So let me ask, how does Jesus' resurrection influence you today? Here's David with a message called, The Fulfillment of the Prophecy. He went through all the verses in the Old Testament. It is written, this must be fulfilled, that had to do specifically with his cross and his resurrection. Are, are you with me? That, that he took these disciples in this resurrection appearance through all the verses in the Old Testament. It is written, this book that we've lived by, that this collection of books that what we believe in point to me in specificity about my cross and my resurrection. So what I did for you to try to help you understand this in detail is I listed them all out here on this sheet that you were given. And if you want to learn how to love God, love God with your mind because here's what Jesus did with his disciples to show how all of these prophecies in the Old Testament about his cross and his resurrection were fulfilled in him. Now, let me give you a couple of insights of how that's done. First of all, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 22. And I think these guys in Jesus' day, even though it was a written word that was held in the synagogues, most of these guys memorized the words of God when they were kids. They put it deeply in their hearts when they were kids. So when Jesus said to them, remember the psalm that said these words, they would remember it because they had memorized it. They, they didn't have iPhones and they didn't have Bibles that they could open up then. They had memorized it deeply in their hearts. So Jesus took them, for example, to Psalm 22, verse 1. And he said, do you remember these words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? And they go, that, that's what you said on the cross. Jesus would go, Exactly. What happened on that cross, folks? What happened on that cross? Why did God have to go to the cross? Because he knew you and I couldn't save ourselves. There's no way we can save ourselves. There's no way you and I can become righteous enough to be acceptable to God. So God had to become righteous for us. He went to the cross in the perfect God-man, Jesus, who had never sinned, and the wrath of God was poured out on his son instead of you and me. That's what the word gospel means. That's the good news that God took the punishment for our sins upon his son rather than you and me. And when that happened, because previously the son had had perfect union life with the father for all eternity, one God in three persons, father, son, and Holy Spirit, a perfect union life among themselves, Jesus enjoyed so much being in that perfect relationship with the father here on earth but the moment he took all of our sins upon himself, he could not have a perfect union life with the Father in heaven. It was impossible. The perfect Father could not have fellowship with his Son with all of our sins poured upon him. At that moment, Jesus cried out in fulfillment of Psalm 22.1, a prophecy about the Messiah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
At that moment when our curse of sin fell upon Jesus, the father turned his back on his son. And you can just see the light bulbs going off in the minds of his disciples as Jesus did that. And that's just one example. And and read Psalm 22 and you'll see others about the piercing of hands and the piercing of feet of the Messiah that are fulfilled in Jesus, a psalm written 900 plus years before Jesus ever came. And then I bet he took them to Isaiah 53. And he said, you remember the suffering servant in Isaiah? And they all went, yes, we memorized that. It is of great importance to Israel. And Jesus probably went, remember this verse? Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Just as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And the disciples probably, yeah, yes, that, that, that was you. You were despised and forsaken. And surely he has borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. God's the one who afflicted his servant. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are, anybody know the answer? We're healed. That what Jesus did on that cross took our sins upon himself and granted us forgiveness, and we're now healed. And can't you just see the disciples going, oh, oh yeah. All of these verses about you in the, the Old Testament, the cross is seen. It had to happen. It was prophesied. And then you, you can see on this, now I'm not going any depth, but do the research yourself. Come on, folks. If you saw a grown-up playing in a kiddie pool, what would you do? What would you do? You'd call the police. There's an adult playing in the kiddie pool. Sometimes I feel like, folks, you have been walking with the Lord for years. Quit playing in the kiddie pool. It's time for you to grow up and love Jesus passionately. You can do the research. Do so. And look also at Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and the verses that talk about how the suffering servant will prolong his days and continue to live. Or look at Psalm 1610, the prophecy that the Holy One of God will not live in decay that Peter used in Acts 2 when he preached his Pentecost sermon. He was the one who went to Psalm 1610 to point out that Psalm was talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Are you with me? So Jesus spent some period of time taking his disciples through the reality that he must suffer and die. He must be raised from the dead in accordance with the Old Testament prophecies, again, written from 400 to 1,000 years before he ever came. Folks, how do you explain that? The resurrected Jesus shows it was all a part of the plan of God. Now, when you grasp that Jesus was sent to earth, God in human flesh, He lived the perfect life we can't live because we have a disease called sin that happened at the moment of conception. And that we deserve eternal separation from God, but God intervened and rescued us on the cross to take the punishment for our sins upon himself. That's what great love is. And was raised from the dead to prove it's true. When you believe that, Jesus said there are three practical applications of it. Every great sermon has applications, right? 
I mean, if I just give you facts and you leave, you go, so what? Facts should lead to following. Here are the three practical applications Jesus gave to the reality of him coming, living, dying, and being raised from the dead. Here's the first one. There's repentance. Jesus said, when you preach this message, there will be repentance. Did you know Jesus' first sermon was Matthew 4, 17, where he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. His last sermon is, teach the world about repentance. It's terribly important. When you understand who Jesus is and when you receive him as Lord and Savior, there's repentance of your former life. One of the best definitions of repentance I've ever heard is stop it. Stop it. Stop that behavior that is destroying your life, other people's lives, the nation in which you live. When I call you, I call you to a new place in me. You leave the old life behind. You repent. You stop that behavior. More often than I'd like to say, I receive emails from people who go, well, I'm in, for example, a marriage relationship, and my spouse watches porno all night long, and he has turned on me and is abusive, and he calls himself a Christian. How would you respond to that? And I would say, just because you say you're a car doesn't mean you're a car. Just because you may live in a garage doesn't prove you're an automobile. The proof of your life in Christ is how you live it out. And in my humble opinion, without knowing any of the other realities, your husband isn't a follower of Jesus any more than a man in the moon. He can't be. You can't say you understand the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and we'll look at the ascension next week. You understand these doctrines and they're deeply embedded in your heart and not have repentance, not have a life change, not have a sense of, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I'm a different person. In Pauline language, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And I'd say that not just about some of the sins of abuse and alcohol and addiction, I'd say that about slander and gossip. You can't follow Jesus and not control your tongue. Your tongue only shows where your heart is. And if your heart is passionately in love with him, it will affect how you speak. There's repentance that is a part of following Jesus. But it's rooted in the second application. That is the forgiveness of sins. From where does your desire to repent come? It comes from the understanding of my sins have been forgiven. Let me tell you what your greatest need in life, folks, is. is not a new car, a better job, more power, and greater positions. Your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sins. If you don't get them forgiven, you'll spend eternity separated from God. And Jesus is the way their sins are forgiven. Now, when I hear, hear people say, I have this addiction, this problem that I just can't seem to overcome, here's my question. Do you understand the greater love. The only way I've ever been able to see anybody through all of my years of ministry be set free 
from addictions and habits and hang-ups that are destructive is to have a greater love than the addiction, the habit, or the hang-up. And I think that comes in looking at the cross. Have you ever done that really? When you look at that cross and see the perfect God-man, what God wanted your life to be, strong on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, what does it do to your heart? You know, when I look at Jesus on that cross, and I do regularly in my quiet time, it gets me in touch so deeply with all of my sins and all of my selfishness that God's continuing to change. And believe me, it is a process. We call it progressive sanctification in fancy theological language. What does that mean? It means I'm not as bad as I was yesterday, but I'm not as good as I'll be tomorrow, but I'm better. I'm in process. And I'm in process, and that process occurs more and more to look like Jesus by looking at the cross. Any of you who are aging a bit know this routine. You go into your bathroom, and the lights aren't on, and you look in the mirror, and you go, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Not, not too many gray hairs. Not, not too many lines on the face. That's not too bad. <laughs> then turn on the lights. And then you go, getting a little older there, buddy. <laughs> and then you go to a hotel, one of these fancy jobs, and you walk in the bathroom where they've got light bulbs all around the mirror. Every single inch is filled with a light bulb, and it's turned on at full blast. You look in, you go, oh, boy, time here is limited. Every gray hair, every wrinkle, every line is exposed. Why? Because the light reveals it. When you look at the light of Christ hung on that cross, he reveals every sin of your life. And you go, uh-oh. The old hymn writer said, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Which is the worst of all sins, by the way. The arrogance to think, I'm in control, and I'm the center of my universe. Ego, edging God out. When you realize the greater love of God on that cross and through the resurrection, proving that that love is stronger than our sin, you stop your butts. God's greater love is stronger than our butts. Somehow that didn't come across right. Let me say um, <laughs> God's greater love in Jesus is stronger than any but God, but David. You don't know my situation. You don't know the pain I've gone through. It's not as strong as the cross. It's not greater than the cross. And that greater love can give you the power and strength to overcome your addictions. That greater love can give you the power and strength to be healed in your marriages. The only thing I know that heals the hurts, and hang-ups, and habits of our lives is the greater love of Jesus through his forgiveness and repentance that comes as a result of that greater love. And then the third thing that happens in application is you're willing to go to all the nations. You're willing to. God might not call you there, but you're willing to. And you have a heartbeat for people who don't know Jesus, your neighbor, your family members. You just want them to know this greater love. All the nations. Did you know in 1974, one half of the world had never heard the name of Jesus? Now it's one-third. We've made a dent. 
You have a heart for the world. You have a heart for your neighbor. You know the infilling power of the Holy Spirit that's given you this greater love, and your life is much in secondary in proportion to the fulfillment of the call that Jesus has given to you. Why are we Christians so concerned about the end times but not the ends of the earth? May I say that again? That was so good, I want to say it again. Why are we Christians so concerned about the end times and not the ends of the earth? For the one we know as Lord and Savior, Commander-in-Chief, said, take this gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations including Nepal, including India, including Lebanon, including Egypt, to reach the people who've never heard. Now, why in the world would people do that? Because their commander-in-chief had said to go. To go. And as one very famous missionary said, Jesus commands us to go. He doesn't guarantee we'll come back. And folks, if you don't have anything to die for, you really don't have anything to live for. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and let her follow me. What a God we have who loves us so much he would not allow us to wallow in our sin and be separated from him forever, who loved us so much that he took on human flesh in a baby's stable in Bethlehem, who lived a perfect righteous life for 33 years and then went to a cross to take the penalty of our sins upon himself because of a greater love and was raised from the dead to prove that it's true. God's greater love is for you today too. And he's stronger than your butts. I promise. I promise. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with godly insights that have been passed down from godly parents. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. 
With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote that nothing much good happens after midnight. This sounds like wisdom of the ages that we should all listen to. And the wisdom of the ages, particularly for me, from my dad. He said it over and over again to all three of us in the Chadwick household, as we would want that freedom as we got a little older to have more time in the middle of the night to do what we wanted to do. And dad was steadfast. (laughs) He demanded a midnight curfew from us all. His justification, nothing much good happens after midnight. Like most teens, again, I thought this was terribly restrictive (laughs) and awful. I would argue sometimes with him, but he would not yield. Now, Fast forward to my life as a father. Guess what's happened? Yep, you guessed it. I did the same thing with my three kids. All of them had a midnight curfew. And as most teens would, sometimes they loudly objected, but were always at home at 11.59 p.m. or before. As they watch this crazy world unfold, they're actually thankful to me for holding fast to what my dad taught me about this issue. They're all parents now, and I have a feeling that they'll be passing on the same curfew requirement to their children when they are older. Godly parents pass down truths that we have gleaned from our parents, and then we are responsible for passing them on to our kids and hopefully our kids to their kids down through many generations in the future. That's the whole essence of Psalm 78, verse 4. The truth that nothing good happens after midnight is a truth that is a forever truth. I pray everyone listening now will enforce it upon their children even when they loudly object. Well, this is such good wisdom. I'm going to tuck this away because I'm not quite there yet. How old are your kids? My oldest is 14. You're there. Um, I'm almost there. <laughs> so I am definitely going to use this one. Yeah. I just need the, the the courage to continue to enforce that and, and remember the wisdom myself of it, um, because I do think it's really important. And the thing that comes to mind right now is, you know, there's always tomorrow. We, you know, if you're begging and pushing and going against this boundary, the reminder of there's always tomorrow, you can engage in, you know, this creative moment tomorrow. Isn't it interesting that in the Bible, Satan is called the king of darkness. And Jesus always describes the kingdom as one being of light. And he himself is called the light of the world in John 8. Um, So we know the power of light. We know the forcefulness of darkness as well. Most crimes are committed at night. Uh, Most hideous deeds are performed in the darkness. Uh, And when the light is shown upon roaches in a dark room, they scurry for the darkness Mm -hmm. because they know 
bestow the power of the light upon them. That same truth prevails that nothing good really happens after midnight in the middle of darkness. Come home to the light where you are safe. That's so good. Thank you so much for these insights today, David. You're welcome, Jen, from my own experience, and I hope we'll pass them on to generations to come. And if you listeners would like to receive from me a daily written moment of hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. There you can subscribe from my heart to yours, arriving in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m., a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for those who are standing for truth in our nation's government. 